Uh, if you would, turn to Matthew 24. Rich Rollins was supposed to preach, but he called up and, and faked like he was sick. And he was so bad I couldn't even recognize him. He's, he's sick. Uh, wherever he bought that recording that makes him sound really sick, I could never turn it down. So I was going to be out of the pulpit, but uh, he notified me on Friday. And so you won't be getting First Timothy. You're going to be getting... Uh, Matthew 24 and 25. I want to say something. Um, I want to inform you, and you do whatever the Lord would have you do. Uh, I, I had a phone call yesterday. I've got a uh, pastor friend that I've known for years, pastors in Visaya, New Hope Community Church, and he's watching his wife die. She has cirrhosis of the liver, from diabetes, never drank a day in her life. Uh, wonderful gal. And uh, the diabetes, I mean, she has readings 500, 600. You ought to be in a coma. At those. Then in the morning, she might be 70, which is hypoglycemic. And I mean, she's all over. And from this, it has uh, made her uh, uh, get cirrhosis, uh, Jim Snyder, Carol and I went down about two weeks ago. She looks like she's about 11 months pregnant because of all these fluids. They've had her in the hospital twice to drain her, and the doctor finally said, there's no need of continuing this. Uh, we, there's just no need. We're going to let her die. They brought in hospice, uh, and they've got her on morphine. And I talked to him yesterday. I said, how's it going? And uh, I asked him, uh, because he told me a, a, a week or so ago, he said, I, I hope I don't lose my home. I said, well, why, why is that? He said, well, he said, the church pays a $1,400 uh, medical policy. He's 68, but there's somewhere caught in there. He calls it the hole or what, the donut hole or something like that in Medicare, whatever. But anyway, it's costing him $5,000 a month for medication even with insurance. So he said, I either buy the medicine or pay the mortgage. So I'm two months behind now on my mortgage because even if they take it from me, I got to buy her the medicine until the Lord takes her. And she probably won't live another week. Uh, she, she's desperate. And uh, I thought, well, what do I do? I was praying with some men this morning. They said, Pastor, why don't you put out the Bible? And um, we're going to give you an opportunity if you'd want to help a poor pastor that's sitting at the side of his wife and is going to have his house foreclosed on because he'd rather buy medicine than pay the mortgage. Uh, you can just put a gift there in Valley Bible, send him a check. I don't want him to lose his house, and I don't want her to go without medicine even though she is dying, and it won't be long until... The morphine puts her in a permanent uh, unconscious state. But uh, remember Carl Ruby Hatton, just a couple of poor Arkansas kids that uh, are desperate straits, desperate straits. Uh, Matthew 24. The passage is going to be so long, <clears throat> and my voice is so weak, that I'm going to read it in sections <clears throat> as I develop it. Remember, I'm not supposed to be in the pulpit. Rich Rollins is supposed to be here, so put up with the voice. <clears throat> uh, I want to speak on uh, how to live until Jesus comes. How to live until Jesus comes. And uh, five ways we ought to be living. Number one, we ought to be waiting as those who know that the king's coming will be unexpected. That's number one. Number two, we ought to wait as stewards who must give an account of our service. We ought to wait as stewards who must give an account of our service. Three, we ought to wait but be prepared for a long delay. 
Fourthly, we ought to wait as a slave who must take his master's goods and make them gain a profit. And finally, we ought to wait while showing compassion on the king's brothers and do this unselfishly and unconsciously. And you'll see this in the text. We should be waiting as those who know that the king's coming, no matter when it happens, will be unexpected. Unexpected. Verse 36. He's talked about an outline of the last day events. Abomination of desolation. And everybody's got a theology on how this is going to work out. But then after he's explained this, he, in a series of about four parables, he just starts saying, this is what I want you to be doing when I come. This is the attitude I want you to be living with. Listen to what he says. 36. No one including Harold Campy, knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, the Son didn't know this. He has to be speaking from his human nature. He limited himself. He grew in wisdom and stature as a boy. So in his humanity, he had self-imposed things he didn't know. As God, he knows everything. But he makes this statement. As the Son of Man, I don't even know when the Father wants me to come back. Nor do the angels, nor do any of your prophetic schemes. No one knows it. I don't care what view you got. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, mixed up. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Why don't you admit it? You don't know. I've been around people saying he's going to come any moment for all of my life, and he hasn't made it in 65 years. He hasn't made it in 2,000 years. He just hasn't showed up. But he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And what he's really saying here, the days weren't necessary. These were not evil activities. Life was going on in its normalcy. Uh, Marriage, eating, drinking, just life was going on. The days were evil according to Genesis 6. But he's here, these things are not evil. He's just saying, things were just going on. Bills were being paid. Kids were being taken to music lessons. Others' life is just going on. And nobody announced, a month from now, the flood hits. Nobody said, ooh, I've noticed a change in the weather, something strange. None of that. Not a clue. And all of a sudden, the flood waters start. It's over, it's happened, and in the midst of their normal way of living, boom, the flood comes. He said, that's the way I'm coming back again. Nobody will be expecting it. Nobody will know the time. Then he gives some illustrations of what will happen. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Now, some say they're taken in judgment. Some say they're taken to blessing. It's not qualified. They're just taken. The idea is separation will take place. Good, bad, whew, it's going to be an immediate separation. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So there will be immediate separation. Then he goes on and gives the illustration of the thief. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's the principle he's laying down. 
Now, he's going to illustrate after this what he wants us to do. But hear me. You don't know when the Son of Man may come. Did you know what? It might be today. It might be tomorrow. And it might be a thousand years from now. You don't know. Oh, it's got to be soon. That's the crowd I'd run with. I, I had a prof in school that kept the thing on his uh, uh, desk. It was, was precious, perhaps today. Is that right? Could it be today? This crowd over here is thinking it over. Perhaps today? Yeah. Uh, could you put on there perhaps 100 years from now? Can we last another 100 years? We've had parts of the church for 2,000 years saying we can't last another year, another decade. It's too bad. 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 We're still here. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. This is it. He's going to come any moment. That's it. Get ready. Get ready, get ready. Go stand on a tall mountain and start jumping because we're going. <laughs> Hadn't shown up unless I missed it. He said, I'm just telling you, I'm coming back and I'm not going to let you know when, but I will come when you're not least expecting it and it's just going to break through just like the flood. It's going to come just like a thief that nobody anticipated. You don't wait around and, and leave out hot chocolate for a thief coming. You don't know he's coming. You'd never get robbed. Now, what should we be doing in the meantime? I don't know when you're going to come. What do you want me to do in the meantime? First thing he tells us he wants us to do. I want you to be waiting as a steward that must give an account of what I put you in charge of. Notice what he says. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. When he comes, if he's doing what he was assigned, boy, he's going to give him further uh, trust, further things, greater blessings. But watch this now. Watch this. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The long delay, he just gives up. It's not going to happen. I give up. I'm going to be mean to the household servants. I'm going to boogie a little bit. I'm going to party and forget the second coming stuff. I'm going to do as I please. And he says, he comes back, and when he comes back, he cuts him to pieces and treats him like a wicked man. I, I talked to a another preacher yesterday who just lost his son and uh, he told me about an old friend of ours that attended the funeral who was a uh, really a uh, high profile preacher and everything well he became a womanizer and philanderer and uh, uh, all these years he just out of church and he told my friend he said well what I'm going to do, he said, I, I want to play the world's top 100 golf courses, and I've played 55 of them. i got 45 to go. The Lord is going to come, just like when the flood came, and at this present state, I think he's going to be chopped up in pieces. Because he gives every manifestation of being a phony. Will you be doing what the master wants you to be doing when he comes is the issue. It doesn't matter when he comes. What matters is what you're doing when he comes. What will he find us doing? Just saying, ah, I don't buy this stuff. I'm out of here. 
I want to party. I want to do whatever. I want to be mean to people. I'm going to party. And the Lord comes and says, hey, I left you with an assignment. What have you been doing? I've been being mean and living for myself. And the Lord says, I'm going to chop you to pieces, you wicked servant. Now it goes to a third parable. The ten virgins, chapter 25. And here he's going to say, get ready to wait for a long time and be prepared for it. Watch what he says. At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And that wasn't the morning service. That, that was the parable. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both, of, uh, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. What is he saying in this parable about ten virgins? There's been all kinds of speculation what the oil happens to be. Some says it's uh, the Holy Spirit, salvation. Be careful when you're interpreting a parable. Let it say only what Christ wants to say. Don't make it walk on all fours, as we say. It's not about the oil. It's not about... Even the wise ones got sleepy and went to sleep. It's not even a rebuke of being sleepy, let's say. The emphasis is, this is the way an oriental uh, wedding went in in Bible times. Um, The bridegroom would go to the bride's household with some of the wedding party. And when they got there, they may spend... Uh, time in the daytime there into the evening rejoicing with the bride's father and the family and having a, a good time but the goal of it was then they would go through the streets and these bridesmaids the ten virgins uh, were used to light up these streets they had no street lamps and so they had these uh, torches made of rags dipped in oil and they would light up the street, show the way, and then they would go back to the father's house, and this is where the real celebration took place. Either it was the father's house or the son had a house that he prepared for his bride, and then the celebration could go one, two, three days, just depending on wealth, how much wine, food, and accommodations they could provide. They could, man, they could party as long as they wanted long as the resources were there. Now, what happened is five of these gals that were going to light the way, they didn't bring enough oil. They were not prepared for a long delay, and they ran out of supply. That's all he's saying. Be prepared for a long wait for the king to return. Um, I grew up with people 
who believe strongly in the imminent coming of Christ. Any moment he's going to come. Any moment. Any moment. Any moment. Any moment. Any moment. Is that true? Yeah. But there's an extreme that goes this way. What if he doesn't come for 100 years? Will you be preparing and supplying yourself? Uh, well, we need to start a seminary. No, we shouldn't do that. Jesus is coming. Oh, you don't start schools. No, Jesus is about, don't you see the times? Well, why, why do that? My mother told Carol and I once, you shouldn't be bringing babies into this world. It's dangerous. I said, well, Mom, World War II was going on when you had me. She said, well, you started World War III. No, but hey, hey, you weren't thinking about how dangerous it was when you had me. You just got pregnant. But we get to going. You get one generation of the church, all they're hoping is that the funeral plot's paid for. The other group's got their kids in the nursery. Which ones ought to be ready? Both. Some are going to Rolling Hills to pick out their epitaph. That's all right. And they can say, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. I, I don't want to be involved in Sunday school and church. This stuff is all passing away. Guess what? We may be here another thousand years. Some of you don't want to hear that because you don't believe the parable. But that's what he said. Do you have enough supplies for a long wait? See, I'm afraid for some so-called Christians I see. Uh, they won't read through the Bibles in this next year. They won't do much to improve their marriage. They probably don't have very much of a prayer life. And this is what I look. This is my fear. You too will fall away. You don't have enough supply to endure to the end. And he said, those that are saved endure to the end. Do you have enough of the word of God in you to endure hard times? Do you? Some of you can't. You don't know the Bible, and you know I know you don't. You don't even want to talk to me about it. You're too lazy to know it. You're being entertained by videos and, and passive recreation, watching other people. And the Bible, you've got to actually read it for yourself. Prayer, you've got to do. There's no video that it does it for you. You've got to show up. Not just show up, just to say, I showed up. But I want to be an active part of the folks waiting for him. And I am going to get as much supply. You know, it's like when I wanted to be a preacher and started it. I had so many preachers. Thank God for my daddy and my sister back there, my brother. But they said, son, at 18, you need to get a wife and start pastoring. You're a kid preacher. You already can preach better than most of the guys you're running with. You don't need to go to school. And my daddy said, son, we've got enough ignorant preachers. Go to school. We've got enough ignorant corn-fed preachers, is what he said, because he's a country boy. God doesn't anoint ignorance. Some of you, you think you're anointed? No, you're just stubborn. Nobody can change your mind. Boy, it was something. By the time I got in Bible college... See, I heard people saying, Jesus is coming soon. You better win souls as soon as you can. He's coming any moment. What are you doing over there going to Bible college? Don't you know Jesus is coming? Well, I like to know the book of Romans in the meantime. Whew, aren't you living like he's going to come any moment? Yeah, I am. I'm getting all the oil I can in my soul because it might be 100 years, and I want to be full of the Word of God whenever he comes. I want to be full of the Word of God. Some of you act like the church couldn't last another hundred years. Yes, it can. Jesus is building a church that can last. Jesus is building a church that can last. The gates of hell can't prevail against this church. If we go into the year 3,000, he can save, he can keep. I don't care if it's the Roman Empire, the Russian Empire, China. He can keep a church wherever he wants. He's not impotent. He's powerful. And I'm not looking to dig a hole in the ground somewhere and say, come, Lord Jesus, because I can't stand what's going on in the community. No, bring it on. Greater is he that's within us than he that is in the world. We got the line of the tribe of Judah living in us. We don't have a twinkie Jesus. 
we got a powerful, mighty God. A powerful, mighty God. Quit telling me we got to get out of here because we can't make it in this world. We can make it as long as he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. As long as he's with me, fights my battles, protects me. And he said to the Father in John 17, I thank you, Father. I've got everybody I came to save. Every one of these men are mine. I haven't lost any but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And I want to tell you, he said, I've got sheep all over this world. I'm saving, saving. Oh, we can't survive communist China. We only got 500 million Christians there now. Well, how could that happen? It's unlawful. Well, making laws doesn't keep Jesus from saving. He can save behind any curtain he wants. He can save. Uh, Being in this church, I met some saints uh, a few weeks back, one's from Pakistan, one's from Iran, another's from Iraq. Well, you're not supposed to be saved. You're supposed to be Muslim. said, I'm saved, mister. Jesus found me in Iran. Jesus saved me in Tehran. Jesus saved me in Pakistan. I said, man, that's almost as bad as where we grew up. You're not supposed to get saved where you grew up, but Jesus is building a church. We got to quit acting like the church just can't last. It can last as long as the head of the church gives us strength and he wants us here. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Now, some of you don't have enough oil for the end because you're running on fumes. You're running because uh, the only thing they did wrong is they didn't have enough supplies because the uh, bridegroom stayed in the house too long. He's having a good time with all the party festivities. And their only crime was we don't have enough. For a long wait. Now I ask you, church, if I called a prayer meeting tonight, would you make it? There's three. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. The rest of you by your head. We know you won't be here. I know. I've called them. You don't show. What do you think we pray for? To keep you guilty? Give you something else to do? Now we're talking about those things that maintain us. Things that... What do you do to grow? Some of you, see, America is dying on entertainment. It's dying on passivity. Our kids are obese. They're out of shape, and they're drinking five Cokes a day, and they've done, done, never done an ounce of work in their life. And we wonder why we're all getting fat. Because America is sitting in front of a tube, and many Christians not engaged. We're just saying, come, Lord Jesus. What are you doing in the meantime? I'm just saying, Come. That's not the assignment. He knows when to come. He told you to be in charge of the house, and he told you, you better be ready. And if I delay my coming, you better have enough oil for a long wait. Now he goes on to another parable. Okay, I'm going. Well, I got 15 more minutes. You hold on. Hold that door. I'm going to take an offering before they get out. Um, Then he goes on another parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Now, talent here doesn't mean you can play the guitar. This was a measurement of, uh, they did it in silver, gold. Uh, D.A. Carson takes it, we ought to do it in the way of wages. He says, one talent was equal to 20 years worth of wages. So even the man that he gave one talent, it's a huge amount of money. And then five, two. So it's a measurement of money. Then he goes on this journey. And the man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. 
See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying we need to wait as a slave who must improve his master's Assets. The term servant here is really slave, not American slavery. It was Roman Empire slavery. And the scriptures assumes everybody's a slave of something. John 8, you're a slave of sin. Romans 6, you're a slave of sin or of righteousness. First uh, Corinthians 6, you're a slave of God by divine purchase or not. You, you can't get out. It's Bob Dylan. You've got to serve somebody. Somebody is your master. And he entrusted these men with these financial resources. Some believe it was like a partnership that based on how well they did with it, they would get a a greater cut, maybe a greater share of the company, of the assets. I mean, there would be reward for them ultimately. But two men go out and they increase the assets. They put them to work for the master. One guy just buries it and badmouths his master. He makes the master a hard guy. Uh, he starts blaming him for his expectations. And what Christ is saying is, uh, I want you to improve and multiply what I've entrusted to you. I'm going to entrust you with an IQ. Some of you are smarter than others in this room. Some of you have more financial resources. So what? What are you doing with them? Some of you have got better health than others. Some of you are going to live longer than the rest of us. If God should give you another 20 years, what would you get done for the master with them? Uh, If God keeps entrusting money, you know, I'll see some guys, I got all this money. And I'm going to say, this fool, tonight your soul's required of you. Then whose will the money be? If all you're living for is building bigger barns, Jesus says you're a fool, Luke chapter 12. God gave you your money, didn't he? God's given you the health you have, hasn't he? God's giving you the number of years. You know, anytime I complain to Elton that I've got aches and everything, he said, son, a kid, because he's only got 30-some-odd years on me. He's basically saying, come on, get over it. You're just a child. I said, but I feel old. Don't look for mercy there. What are you going to do if God lets you live another 10 years? What will you do for the master? Or have you buried everything he's given you into you? Is it all about you? 
what is Jesus Christ getting done through you? That if we buried you, some of you will almost have to have a good imagination to come up with anything you did for Christ. So you want a good, good liar to give the eulogy. What are you doing for Christ? When the master comes back, whether it's morn, noon, he's going to say, hey, I gave you all this stuff. Man, I gave you the ability to make money beyond the ordinary or uh, I'll let you have a, a college degree and you're able to make this kind of income. Uh, or, man, you're talented, you're quick, you're this, that. What are you doing for Jesus? Well, I, I've just buried it. And when he comes back, I'm going to just say, look at here, I've kept it until you got back. Here it is. He said, you mean you never made it work? You never put it in the market? You never shared it? I gave you these assets to multiply, to, to increase for my glory and honor. These other men did it. Why didn't you? Well, I viewed you as bad. You're a hard man. He said, you're a wicked man and you're a lazy man. And I'm going to cast you in outer darkness. It scares me to see how many inactive Christians there are. Many have chased the American myth of retirement, that uh, you accumulate enough money so you can uh, be free from a job and uh, visit grandchildren, uh, make trips, uh, put myself into hobbies, maybe go to church once in a while. A lot of folks just, just pay a, a visit, but don't, don't, don't take any responsibilities because I've paid my dues, I've worked. So, so God ought to kill you as soon as you retire because you're not going to contribute anymore. You've made your contribution. So 65, because <laughs> you might as well get the best, go to heaven. Did you ever think God might let you retire early so that finances are covered so the rest of your life you might spend two years on a mission field helping some poor missionary couple labor, help take care of the kids, help them do a Francis Sylvester and go to Bangladesh and use your medical skill to work in a hospital. Did you know he might let you retire early and cover the money so you can start doing ministry and visiting hospitals? Jim Snyder is our hospital pastor. He's retired, but he's the one that visits everybody in the hospital. Just tell me. I don't want to just lay around, Pastor. Tell me who's sick. I'll be, I went with him one day. We consumed six hours just going to San Francisco here and there. I said, man, Jim, this is why we got you as pastors. and never get anything done. Is of all we do is go to the hospital. He said, I'm retired. I want to do this. Amen. My brother retired when he's 55. Eventually, we took him on as seniors pastor. We give him a little pittance token just to make him feel humble that we'd throw a little money. He's already got his living covered. He makes more money. He said, the church costs me more taxes than what you give me. So what are you even giving it for? So we're going to try to renegotiate that. <laughs> but he's 72 now. We've got 17 years of free service out of the man. He's the one who oversaw these buildings, not, not as pastors. Here's an elder. Talk to him. Ask us how much hours we spent to figure out how to build this building. He just wore me out. He, Rich and I one day were in the office, and he comes over, and, and this way he's mean to his uh, younger brother. That's me. And, and he came in there, and he said, because um, I never wanted to build buildings. I hate paying mortgages. How, all the church said amen. I kept looking for warehouse buildings or something we don't man I don't I can meet anywhere boy if you've been in this church you've met everywhere and all the saints from Rio no when you pull up to the church and on the the marquee says white chicks you know you're you're in a weird place um, that was up on the marquee wasn't it well, he came over and he said, you know, uh, uh, 
you know what? We finally got in this building. He came in one day, talked, says, you know what? We need to start planning to build another building. I said, you're out of your mind. I'm figuring out the book of Revelation, and we don't need another building. He said, no, I know your type. He told me, I know your type. What is my type? He said, someday you can just say, here's the need, and we should have another building, and you're going to look at the men and say, give us a building. He said, it takes about five years before we could ever build. I said, you're crazy. He said, no, because you don't know anything about permits, planning, city. You just say, we need it, and there it is. And I said, well, what is it? And both Rich and I said, well, if you want to get started, kind of tell us what it, you know. We said, go out there and do it. He got the architect, Alex. They started meeting, hours of meetings. He finally brings something to a board meeting. What do you guys think? Oh, it looks good. Get it. Man, man, David, I'm in the book of Romans. I don't need to be bothered with prints. I'm doing spiritual stuff. I'm in. I'm heavy into God. You're out here thinking like a businessman. And finally, after about 12 hours of meetings, we finally get a set of prints because he did all the legwork with Alex and everything. And now, by the time we dedicated I just stood before the church. See, I've led you to greener pastures. And the Russian proverb says that success has many fathers. I'm one. (laughs) Failure is always an orphan. It was him. He said, we might have a long wait. Why don't we occupy till he comes? Why don't we strategically plan so our old folks don't have to be in freezing buildings? See, you've got to have this balance. One is he's coming any moment. Let's get ready for Jesus to come. Jesus said, why don't you work until I come? Let me find you praying when I come. Let me find you giving when I come. Let me find you serving when I come, not staring. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Oh, baloney. Quit that false kind of uh, eschatology. This eschatology makes you work. It makes you pray. It makes you give. I'm going to work till he comes because when I get to heaven, all my working days are over. I've got to do all my serving and giving down here because there I've got it made. Well, anyway, God's going to ask you someday, what have you done with everything I've invested in you? Finally, I've got, I'm over, I bomb right on just like the first service. Ten minutes, just stretch like that, David, like you're yawning. And I'll, I'll promise, I'll stop or I'll confess the sin of go, keep on going. Okay. Uh, look at verse 31. Then we close right here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, dispensationalists make the brothers Jews. I'm not convinced of that because the only time Jesus referred to anyone as a brother were his followers. And it wasn't just Jews. Whoever follows me is my brother. So I don't make that just Jews. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angel. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? By the way, they call him Lord because by this time, everybody is forced to call him Lord, even the unsaved. When did we ever see you this way? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me just briefly say this. Uh, We want to wait as people who unselfishly and unconsciously give to the brothers of the king. And I, I use the word unconsciously because both the righteous and the unrighteous are unconscious of the fact that what their deed was, that Christ was involved in it. They did it. When did we see you this way? And even the wicked said, when did we ever see you hungry? They're unconscious, which seems to be that their service is uh, spontaneous, uh, unselfish, but they're unconscious. It, It seems to go this way. Oh, give to this man, and ooh, someday Jesus is going to give you a reward. No, they finally says, I see one of the brothers of the king. And as you read the book of Acts, the church and the book of Hebrews, the church is being persecuted, thrown in jail. All the way through church history, the brothers of Christ have been persecuted, hunted, killed, starved, martyred. And he said, the manifestation of the righteous sheep in the earth is the way they treat my brothers. You see, the liberals took this And they said, we must be in social causes, and you just feed anybody that's hungry or poor, and you've done it to Jesus. Uh, We ought to be good to the poor. We ought to help people. I want to thank this church that 70 families among you took 70 poor people, projects and elsewhere, and you delivered food, gifts, and love to 70 families in this area. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to thank you people that in 2009, your giving exceeded our budget. We spent more than our budget for some other items, and we've been running a deficit, but your giving was greater in 2009 than it was 2008. The recession didn't keep you from giving. God bless you. I want to also thank you for the pastoral gifts that we didn't know that there'd be any handed out to all the staff. We handed out to many people because we didn't know you gave so abundantly. We were able to provide for many people that had made their Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to know that. But what he says here, someday... the king will say, I'm going to reward you for the way you treated my brothers. I've had a persecuted church for 2,000 years, and everything you've ever done for my people, I'm going to reward you. And he's going to say to these goats that are unconscious that what they were withholding, they were really withholding from the king, because you remember what he told Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't know if you know this. Hear me well. Hear me well. Whatever you do for the least child of God, the king will remember it. He will remember it. That's why when I was praying with the men this morning and I thought of my pastor friend, if I say, I thought, do we get involved? Do we not? And the brothers in Christ said, give them an opportunity, Pastor. Uh, have you ever done something for someone that was too poor to ever pay you back? I had a man came up this morning. He handed me this deal. He says, I'd like to take a month's mortgage, $1,600. I, I looked at him. 
I said, have you ever been poor? He said, you're kidding. I was poor most of my life. But I can now give because I know what it is to be a poor boy. Could I pay a month's mortgage? He said, I didn't even bring money, but here's the number. Have Ron Hughes call me on Monday, and I'll give him where he can get the money. Whatever you do, how should you wait? We ought to wait as people that are good to the king's brothers in the meantime. We ought to wait as people that God's going to ask us, what have you done with what I invested in you? We ought to be preparing like he may come tomorrow, but we're going to be ready if he holds out another 100 years. We're going to plant churches. We're going to start Bible colleges. We're going to train young men and women. We're going to do children's ministry. We're going to work till Jesus comes. We're going to pray till he comes. And we're not looking for a place in Montana to get a cave and just look. No, he's going to ask, what were you doing when I came? He said, well, I was doing nothing. He said, you give every evidence you're wicked. It's the wicked that won't be doing anything. It's like some of you, you need to learn to give this year. Uh, we got many people in our role that don't give $100 every two years. I'm going to move that the board remove the names. We don't need people on our roles that don't give. You, you don't have to... You can attend this church and not give, but don't, you don't deserve to be a member. No, 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 no. That's hypocrisy. Don't, don't belong to something you won't support. Jesus gave eight marks of a believer tied to money. Only when you're saved will you want to take care of the king's brothers. When we give money to one another, to missions, this is the king's brothers. And someday we shall see the king. And the king has kept good books. When you're dismissed, if you want to give, there's a Bible. We'll see to it that the check gets to this family. They're trying to raise $9,000. The daughter's borrowing 9000 to pay for the funeral. They're broke. And whatever you do for this man and his wife, she'll be dead within a week. He said, if I could just keep buying medicine till she dies, she's only got a week. Father, I pray, let us go into the new year living like Jesus may come tomorrow or a hundred years from now. It won't matter. We want to pray, work, give until he comes. No matter when, no matter when, you will keep us unto the end of the age whenever you've set that time. Let us faithfully love serve and cling to you until you come. And all the church said, Amen. Amen.